A quick warning before we start this episode, my interview today contains references to violence that some listeners may find upsetting. Armed conflict and war can be overwhelming. It can mean destruction, loss, anger, grief, fear, and many other things that make it hard for a community to thrive. And a civil war can pit neighbour against neighbour, colleague against colleague, and family against family. In doing so, it can threaten to undermine the very foundations of a community. And a civil war can pit neighbour against neighbour, colleague against colleague, and family against family. In doing so, it can threaten to undermine the very foundations of a community. By this, I mean the relationships between people who live in the same place. So during a civil war, what can help protect and sustain these relationships within a community? And after a civil war, what can help that community to heal? In this episode... I speak to a man who has seen first-hand answers to big questions like these. I have a lot of hope when it comes to that area. Uh, The capacity is there. People are resilient. The kindness and the ability to forgive and to let go is there. But it needs to be done in in a way that is filled with wisdom. I'm Jake Lloyd. You're listening to the How to Build Community Show. And that's the voice of Elias Omar from Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. He is a counsellor, educator and psychotherapist. And over the last few years, he has worked in the Tigray region of Ethiopia as it emerges from a civil war that may have resulted in the deaths of as many as 600,000 people. His job? To support the mental health of humanitarian workers who live and serve in that region. And in doing so, he's heard stories that are profound, overwhelming and devastating, but also hopeful, life-affirming and courageous. In this episode, you'll hear how the hospitality and generosity for which people in Tigray are famous helps sustain life and relationships during the conflict. You'll hear how people found hope in one another, even in the midst of terrible suffering, And you'll hear how those communities worst affected can begin to heal. Finally, he'll explain what you can do to be what he calls an instrument of peace in the place that you live. But Elias began by introducing the Tigray region to me. And he told me how from a young age, it had always been a place that he loved to visit. Well, I I grew up in Addis, which is the capital of Ethiopia, but as any Ethiopian, especially the one who grew up in Addis, we always have a desire to travel to different parts of uh, the country. Um, and uh, the Tigray region and the northern Ethiopia regions are rich with history and uh, places and uh, people and culture. Um, growing up, it's always my desire. So it became my favorite destination for holidays. And for uh, with my wife, uh, we I tend to go there uh, after we got married and uh, like we tend to spend our holidays there. Even before that, uh, whenever I had an opportunity, it became my favorite destination for a holiday, for uh, visiting people, getting to know new, new, new uh, community members there. It's always been a place where 
I feel home uh, because of uh, the people there, just the hospitality and uh, really the kindness. And also looking at the history of the country itself, how really influenced the culture of throughout the country. I mean, especially a Christian life um, was an, an instrumental for my interest to travel to the northern Ethiopia. Can you tell me what that, you mentioned kindness and hospitality that you experienced amongst people there. Can you tell me a bit about what, what that has looked like for you? Historically, uh, because of the the geography and the, the, the harshness of the land sometimes, people in that region do not have much, but the hospitality and the generosity is a big part of the culture. Uh, people want to share what they have. And even at times, even they feel may feel offended if you don't accept the generosity. If they have, they may have like honey, a jar of honey that to give you, or uh, a kilo of shiro, which is a local chickpea, um, chickpea powder or uh, split pea powder, um, things like that. So people are just generous with the, what they have, but also the hospitality to make you feel at home. So part of the culture, and they want to make you feel comfortable, safe. Uh, especially that happens when, once they know that you're not from that area. Uh, the whole community, oh, he's from Addis, so let's just welcome him. Everybody everybody want to meet over for coffee, uh, make coffee for me, and just learn about my life. And that was my experience then. Uh, and it's also it's still my experience when I travel during and after the war. So t- tell, for people who don't know, would you just explain this war, what's happened and when, just a, a quick overview, if you would. Well, uh, around fall of 2020, uh, a war breakout broke out between uh, the federal government uh, and uh, the regional government army, uh, the militia. That was purely, uh, from my understanding, is very politically uh, motivated because it's the community is have always lived together. Uh, you can tell between our parts between the, the Tigray and the Amhara region people in the Afar region. Uh, but there was a political uh, conflict that has been stirred up uh, in the last decade. But suddenly a war broke out in the 2020 or fall 2020 that really affected uh, not only the Tigray region, but a spill out of there into the Amhara region and the Afar region. There's a saying in Amharic, uh, which is uh, when your nose get hit, your eyes start to water. Uh, so, and the whole country felt it, uh, the whole regions, and not only the people affected in that region, uh, because people are intermarried and uh, people from Tigray live in the south or in the east, and also people from the south live in the north and the Tigray region and Amhara region. That really shattered people's life in, in Tigray region primarily, uh, but also in the other parts of the country uh, in, a, in a very, very visible way. So how how did it shatter people's lives? Because I know you've you've told me before about, I mean, really really terrible things people have lived through and are living through. Could you just give us a bit of a sense of of that? I mean, as I started talking about the culture that that the generosity and the hospitality is there, and I think people were not able to practice uh, their culture in a more free way. So in a way that is. Uh, that the, the culture of the Tigray region and the Tigray people and the Amhara people and the Afar people always c- come closer together, have coffee and tea together, celebrated holidays. It's just so ingrained uh, in the culture. When the war came, it just picked people apart. People were isolated, haven't left their house 
for months, for days, and like it's on and on and on. So you can see that's how the culture has been really traumatized in a way. The, there's a high level of isolation. With that also comes uh, the very high risk for mental health. And when you add the, the noise of the, the guns and people dying, uh, uh, youth and children are being exposed to very traumatic material, including uh, being in the front line of uh, the war. Uh, that really shattered the culture and also the people's uh, hearts. And uh, you can see that, uh, and as I said, young on young people, but also on older adults. But also this war is a bit severe because of uh, there's new type of guns available, there's new type of evil lurking around in the neighborhoods uh, from the air, from the grounds, and from all directions. And seeing people dying in front of in front of their houses, women and mothers being uh, raped and uh, abused, uh, that has really shattered people's hearts, uh, but also uh, the community itself. In addition to that, there was a lot of problem around accessing food, uh, medication, communication. There was no uh, electricity or telephone or internet. Uh, or sometimes even water for two years. Uh, so that region has been really isolated from the rest of the world. When that is really happening, uh, happened in an extended period of time, two years is too long uh, to be to live in that life. Ilias travelled there in the summer of 2021 to begin work as a counsellor and therapist. He was there to support the local staff of an international NGO that was providing aid to displaced people. So the staff were serving people in need, but they themselves were also experiencing their own trauma and loss at the same time. Elias told me that he heard terrible stories of what staff members were going through, but also stories of hope, love and resilience. And you'll hear shortly how these NGO workers were some of the few people in the region that were still being paid a salary during the war due to the local economy crashing and what they did with this salary reflects this generosity that Ilias has already described and he told me that time and again people would say it was their faith in God and in each other that led them to show this kind of generosity. So that is a common narrative that I hear from now the hundreds of people I spoke to in the last uh, two and a half years. Uh, their spirituality is this this idea of instill that hope in, in, in themselves. So God has a purpose in my life. God has a purpose in this region. So they would uh, have that hold that hope for themselves. When I talk about faith in each other, is it's very, very important to, to really recognize that, especially the aid workers. Uh, they are the ones who have received uh, salary during the war, uh, not, not in a consistent way, uh, hasn't been happening every month. But whenever they receive the salary, they will not just use all the for themselves and for their family. With the next day, they may have left just only 100 bir, which is an equivalent of uh, $2. What, what, I'm, what I'm seeing is people's generosity. Say so like, if I live and my community suffer, there is no benefits for me. So they, they distribute that to their family members, neighbors, the community members, Whoever come in contact with them in need of something, if they have extra cash, they would share it. They would uh, share it to uh, to anyone as a need. 
And that is, that is actually a very common narrative. Whoever received salary will share it automatically to their community. So that really created a little bit a wonderful cohesion amongst them. That generosity, that hospitality really uh, was uh, displayed in the midst of crisis. I then asked Ilias what other ways he noticed people showing generosity and kindness during this time. I noticed that when I walked around the streets, the community people would come together and collect what they have. Food-wise, they tried to support the poorest of the poor. Uh, There were a lot of uh, displaced peoples. They came to the the major cities like Tumakale and Shire. Uh, There were hundreds of thousands of uh, internally displaced people. So this community member or the host community members were willing to share what they have uh, and you see on the streets, uh, you can see kids feeding other kids. So I see that generosity, even for the ones who are coming from the different parts of the region. Uh, so you see that generosity happening. But also what I notice is some local organizations, particularly one come to my mind is a church in Shire. They have a feeding center. So they will uh, collect money, food, whatever they can have from the church members or whoever's coming to visit them, they would have a lunch, um, a daily lunch for about 150 children. Uh, actually, recently, they are have increased it to 600. Uh, now, recently, they do 600. Uh, they provide food for 600 children. Uh, the, the money or resources not really coming from anywhere outside of the country or even from the main part of the country, the, the, the capital of the, the city. But with amongst the, the community, uh, what they have, they share and they share it with uh, internally displaced people. The war officially ended in November 2022. So I asked Elias how the generosity and kindness he sees in the Tigray people can best be harnessed or amplified to heal the divides that the conflict opened up between opposing groups. And I apologise for asking such a difficult question. Yes, it is a very difficult question. It's a it's a question that I probably wrestle with daily. Um, I have a lot of hope when it comes to that area. Uh, the capacity is there. Uh, people are resilient. The kindness and the ability to forgive and to let go is there. But it needs to be done in a in a way that is filled with wisdom. I believe God heals people, heals heart people's hearts, but also heals communities' hearts. So I see the gap. There's I see hope in, in that. So what needs to be done is first kind of having for people a space to talk about what happened uh, and in different ways. Uh, it can be through people like me asking them questions, uh, through writings, through art, through children going to school and finding a a mechanism where they can release that pent-up energy, pent-up narrative they have, and actually have people to hear them. Uh, empowering local churches, uh, communities, organizations are very key in that. I also see the need for a national dialogue, uh, not just necessarily to sign the peace agreement, a national dialogue how, where, where as a nation, where we are going to, where we are moving forward. Uh, that is requires positivity and peace, uh, someone who has a mindset where 
is more progressive, progressive in terms of peace and reconciliation uh, without denying what really happened. So churches and communities have the responsibility to take that role to create that dialogue. So people need to be heard uh, and also come to the table uh, where everybody has a seat on the table where they can speak about their need and hurts. So there's a lot of things we can do to support that community, but it needs to be with carefulness, uh, with humility, um, and uh, with cultural humility uh, is really required to support our communities. Again, reflecting on this kindness and generosity, I asked Elias if he'd seen it being extended to people across the divides of this conflict. I think I'm glad you asked that question because when I when I travel into Tigray region, th- that is there. It's it's not the dominant narrative you hear in the media, but because of traveling in the regions and both in Amhara and Tigray and Afar region, and I come to walk with people who have that spirit and go out of their circle. They're not noisy. They're, they don't talk about it in the, in the media and publicly, uh, but amongst other family and their communities, um, amongst the diaspora communities, like I say, we see this need and they fundraise and they contribute to that. So there's those lights that I see amongst the regions uh, that needs to grow, that needs to become the, the, the dominant narrative in the country, rather than highlighting the differences the regions have. Uh, um, two, just two more questions before we finish. Um, so firstly, pe- people listening to this who serve their communities in some way, wherever they are in the world, what would you like them to take from this? Because I guess we're all familiar with conflict on some level. It can be minor you know, political disagreements within a, within a community or a place, or it could be more major, like you've been you've been talking with us about. But what what one thing would you would you want people to take from having heard you talk about all this? I think I would say first, this idea of peace is the most valuable thing in the world. I would say, and if you live in a peaceful region, part of the country. And I think it's really good to have a gratitude, a sense of like thankfulness to God. Sometimes we take for granted because people who have gone through war and crisis, more than food, more than drink, or more than anything they need is peace. To have ability to sleep in this decay, wake up in the morning, say, I live in a peaceful region. And I think that's the first thing I would say. Uh, don't take for granted if you are, if you live in the peaceful regions. And if you don't in a peaceful region, I think... I desire it more. Uh, I think we need more of it uh, than ever and be an instrument to that, an instrument to bring peace or start conversation around peace. Our world does not a lack of people with conflict uh, and um, we have enough of that. So we need more peaceful ambassadors. Uh, so I would encourage people to be to be that. To, to strive to be that and, and whatever social location you're, you're presented. And the second I'll actually touch to that is I, I really believe one of the reasons the, the crisis in Tigray got to that place, it's not because of the people in those regions are evil. Actually, they are very good people. However, when the media sensationalize things, when some group of people control the narrative, sensationalize things that are creates a lot of harm and makes things worse. 
So I would say if you're people of with media, if people with voice or authority or anything, I would encourage people to be balanced in their presentational things. Not denying the evil, not denying the things that are happening, but also not bringing to that. So I, I would say that don't sensationalize, speak the truth, speak the truth in love. And that really allows people to find a way out. And the third thing I would say is, if you feel that you have blessed with resources, resource in terms of money, or a resource in knowledge or things you have, and I think sharing goes long ways. And I think I would encourage people to contribute. It may not be in Ethiopia. There's other parts of the world that are hurting. Uh, I think it would be meaningful if you be part of that healing process of a nation. A final question. Um, how has the last couple of years and your experience of this work, how, how has it changed you? What have you learned? What surprised you? Just any 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 one thing. I think that's this the last few years have changed me significantly. Uh, I think it changed me as a person, as a, as a dad, as a husband, and as a man. Uh, it has changed me. Um, allowed me to have a little bit of patience with people, uh, with myself, uh, not to come to conclusion. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what faith what religion, what background you have, and you have a valid uh, narrative, a story in your life. And it changed me a little bit of to have uh, patience to listen to people uh, more than I would have a little bit before. Even if I hear a lot of uh, difficult stories, but also the stories that I hear from people that I hear from are also the people give me courage. Because I see here also the lot of positive thing happen in their life, their courage and their strength and the growth in that. My clients are my my instructors sometimes. My, my, I draw a lot of lesson from them. Uh, so that that humility is something that I would be the biggest thing that has changed in me in the last three years. Wow. So no further questions from me, but is there anything you'd like to add? Is there any sort of missing ingredients of this story that you think are, should have covered that you want to you want to bring up now? I think when I think of it, it's we all have a part in something constructive or destructive. We can do something good in life, in people's life, by being actively contributing. It doesn't matter what our profession, uh, you can contribute in a meaningful way into people's life, into one person's or in a community. You can also be silent and be a part of perpetuating the negative thing that happened in our communities. So normally I am not a black or white person, thinking person, but when it comes to that, I think being silent is not really an answer. Uh, and I think contribute in a some way. Uh, and then and it might be minor, might be giving it just a dollar, or maybe just calling a person, pick up a phone and say, hey, I care about you, or, or can just walk on the streets and do something kind to, to a neighbor. Just do something, be part of something meaningful in your community. That's something that I would leave and would say to people. That was Elias Omar, counsellor, educator, psychotherapist. And that's almost it for this episode. Before we go, don't forget you can help support this show by making a small monthly donation on our Patreon page by going to patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. You can read and download 
every edition of Tearfun's Footsteps magazine. That's at learn.tearfun.org. You can catch up on previous episodes of How to Build Community online or in your podcast player. Just search How to Build Community. And finally, if you have feedback on this show or perhaps suggestions for future interviewees, then you can reach me via email, jake at arukanetwork.org. But that's it for this episode. Until next time, bye for now.